Greetings and welcome to our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins, and I greatly appreciate you have joined us today. Throughout this year of 2022, God has led me to emphasize unity among the Church of Jesus Christ. As written in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, especially in these last days in which we live, I believe God is calling His church and His bride to come together as one in Christ. And in doing so, it really displays the beauty of what we are all to be and how His church and His kingdom will grow and reach our world today. So as we go through the Word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and give you wisdom and revelation as to how we are called to be His unified church and then sent out to be witnesses of His Word, His love, and His presence. I pray that you will be blessed by our podcast and that you will be edified and enriched in God's Word today. So may God bless you all. Today, we're, we're going to wrap up our, the letter of Paul to uh, 1 Corinthians, the first letter he wrote to the Corinthian church in Corinth. It's been a, a lengthy year already uh, going through this letter, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Just the different uh, topics that he was dealing with with these people, um, and so uh, there's a lot to this letter and uh, we're going to be uh, going a different direction in the next couple months leading up to the end of the year uh, and into the, the new year. But uh, again, really the whole idea that God has spoken to me, as he's hopefully you've heard, is just the whole um, idea of unity. Now, this church was not exactly unified. They were very divided in many ways and needed some helpful and instruction of how to uh, stop being so selfish, stop being so carnal in their ways. Um, there are different expressions of gathering and how they would worship together and also the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there was a lot of stuff going on, lawsuits against each other. Uh, <laughs> there's there a lot of worldliness involved in this church. And, um, and you know, I would find that any church you go to has little messes every once in a while. You never, if you found the perfect church, which I, I, I think we are, you know, in a lot of ways, we, we are very, uh, but if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you might mess it up. Um, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I, I love our, our church family. Um, I also want to, you know, with the announcements, I was uh, blessed to be part of this conference. It's our annual fall conference over, and it was hosted over in Spokane this week. And it's always good just to connect with the larger, uh, what's called the Northwest District. We're part of a Northwest District of churches in the Foursquare denomination. If you don't know what Foursquare is, you can look at foursquare.org. It will tell you all about it in our, on our website as well. But uh, 2023 is going to celebrate the... 100th year anniversary of the church founding. And if you don't know the history of it, how it was founded by a lady named Amy Simple McPherson. Very cool story um, of how God used her in, in miraculous ways um, back in the turn of the century. And it was kind of came out of the Azusa Street Revival. If you follow that, William Seymour, uh, who is 
a colored man back in Los Angeles that had um, these prayer sessions, prayer revivals, and out of that sparked forth a movement of churches, uh, Pentecostal churches, if you will, that birthed forth out of that Azusa Street revival in Los Angeles and then spread throughout the world, including uh, the Foursquare movement then became an incorporation and, and became a church um, as we know it, and it's around the world to this day. There are um, over 100,000 Foursquare churches around the world. Um, and so we, it's cool to see and connect with the larger group of people and people I've known for years, um, as well as many people. I was, I was looking around this building the last couple of days going, I don't know 90% of these people. I mean, it's, but hearing the stories of God planting churches in, in places uh, in this country, as well as around other places in the world, which is awesome. I continue to pray for Billy, our, our part of our body, Billy Lesperance. He is arrived in the country that he's in. I can't say what country that is. You could see us and I'll tell you in private, but because we're online, we're not supposed to say what country he's in. So people watching this live stream, everything, you know, one thing that uh, I heard in this mission, in this conference and one of the missions uh, sessions that they did, that one church posted where this couple was in this closed country. Uh, and they, they told everybody Oh yeah, they they told them everything on this, and the missionaries had to call them and go, "Please take that off the website because we will be kicked out within 24 hours if you don't do that." Um, because we live in a world that actually is not just you know, hey, they won't know about it. Yes, they will. Actually, if you ever go into other countries, that's the first thing they do. Often they'll look at your Google and they'll Facebook and they'll they'll find you. And if you have anything to do with Christianity. You're not allowed to come in here. So there's a lot of things in our world today, and because of the internet, you have to be very careful. And anyway, all that to say, continue to pray for him as well as uh, David Gambrell, the Gambrell family here. Their son is over in uh, YWAM. Uh, continue to pray for him. He is trying to raise about $1,100 more for his outreach, uh, where they go. And they're going to go to Central America this year with with uh, Cowboys with a Mission. Um, and so I encourage you to pray for that. If you want to help support that, you can do that through the church as well. Uh, put that on an envelope or some, put, just put CWAM on there and we'll make sure it goes towards David's outreach. Turn your Bibles this morning, if you would, again, to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to go to the last chapter of this. Of course, I encourage you to read more. If you are just coming in or you missed some weeks, you can always go on our website and see uh, messages from before, or else I encourage you to read through this letter as well in its entirety. Um, so I want to read through this and just see his final instructions that he's given to this church, and I believe they're still very much applicable to us today. This last chapter, I just got done talking about chapter 15 a couple weeks about the resurrection, just like we sang today, very important stuff on the resurrection uh, and now in his final words, he says in verse 1, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. 
Then when I arrive, I will give letters of instruct, in, introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because of the great door of effective worth has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. And no one then shall refuse to accept him and send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me, and I am expecting him along with the brothers. Um, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers, and he was quite unwilling to go now, but he, is, uh, but he will go when he has opportunity. Be on your guard and stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage and be strong. Do everything in love. That's a good scripture to underline. You know that the household of Stephanus uh, were the first converts in Acacia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. And I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what is lacking from you, for they refresh my spirit and yours. Such men deserve recognition. And then he just says his final uh, greetings to the churches. Let's just uh, open with a word of prayer as we, Lord God, as we read your word and as we hear these words of Paul, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will uh, resonate with our own hearts. Lord, what we can hear and receive and apply to our own lives through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, I'm sure glad that Kat pointed out that I don't have to be cool or wear skinny jeans uh, anymore. You know, I, <laughs> not that I ever tried, but uh, I still like, I give my kids a hard time with uh, fashion that uh, I shop at Costco. You know, that, that's, that's my favorite place to shop, you know, with the, yeah, sweet. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, <laughs> and you're younger than me, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just always trying to not be fashionable. <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, that makes me feel so good. They just want to be loved. They just want to be cared about, right? Uh, and what Paul is saying is in really do everything in love. And really, that is so important for us to hear. Do you ever, people want to be loved. They want to be cared about. More than trying to do fancy things or fancy programs or fog machines or whatever you want to do in church to make it relevant or make it look really cool. And we just need to love people. Amen. We need to love people. And what, what Paul is talking about in these closing statements, he's talking about something that I believe is important. And that is also... Uh, being prepared. I want to talk a lot about stewardship today. And he was talking about, as I come to you, I want you guys to prepare. And he's talking about preparing a collection in this. Uh, like he said, I, like I told the Galatian church as well, 
that uh, each week put aside something so that when he comes, he will not have to ask them. It's something that I encourage you to do, he's saying, is that you're preparing for my arrival. And what I see in this uh, instruction, this simple instruction, is still really applicable for us today in regards to stewardship and uh, giving and how we prepare. Stewardship is actually a biblical word for managing, managing what God has given to us. Um, And so with these blessings, these blessings that God gives to us in each of our lives, because he does bless us in many ways. And often, you know, I've gone to other countries and I've I've been blown away. Sometimes we don't know what we have until we don't. And so we go to somewhere else and then we discover, wow, people really don't have stuff that I have. And, and it just kind of wakes us up, opens our eyes to see how many blessings that you have, including our health. When you, when you get the, a cold, when you, when you go through health issues and then you go, man, I'm that much more thankful when I'm healthy. So I can be thankful, God, thank you for my health every day. I hope it doesn't take a, a sickness or disease for me to appreciate health or help, you know, many other things in my life. Um, but stewardship is actually this biblical word about taking care and making wise decisions what we do with God's blessings in our life. Uh, so these biblical instructions and these principles still really are applicable for us in our current day. Um, they're really no different, if, and it's important that we follow them. So Paul is telling them, and I believe it's true for us today, because the Bible, we see similar instructions on stewardship, on management of our time, our resources, and how we, um, we give. Management shows obedience to what we believe. It also, because of um, if there's a lack of stewardship, um, to what we believe and lack of stewardship in what we don't believe. It's sometimes there's, because we don't believe it, we just live flippantly, we live our lives loosely, if you will, casually, and we don't take care of things, it will also have negative effects in our life. How we handle the responsibilities, how we handle the, the blessings that God gives us says a lot about it. It demonstrates whether or not um, we're going to live Wisely or foolishly? (laughs) And do we have a plan and a vision or do we live life carelessly and faithlessly as well at the same time? God promises blessings from heaven if we live and we say we believe and follow Christ. He promises blessings in our life. In John chapter 13, verse 17, it tells us this. It says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. If you know these things. Now, there are a lot of things I know about. And I go, I know that. I know that. But it makes no difference if you know about it and don't do anything with it. Right? If you know about it, but you just completely ignore it, then do you really know it? I know it in my head, but I'm not really applying it in my life. Uh, that's going to show a mark of maturity or not in your life. What does that say about you? It tells me plainly that God promises a blessing if we do what we know to be right. And this is what Paul was instructing the Corinthian church at the time, that uh, 
Not to know about stewardship, but to do something about it and to live it out. And so management of God's blessings and what that encompasses, what are the blessings that God does in your life, has a lot to do with money management. You know, that is part, um, a big part of that, but not entirely. Um, what we do with God's provisions. And ultimately, the question is, do we trust God? Do we trust God? And are we able to give, manage what he gives us and also give cheerfully? Or do we struggle? Do we hold things tightly? Uh, do we hold on to everything that we have? Or are we free? Are we free and manage it wisely? Or do we blow everything that we have? And I know some of you have gone through financial stewardship classes such as Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. I've offered those a number of times here. Uh, we did Crown Financial. That's another one uh, in years past. And if you've done something like that, how has that worked for you? How has that worked in your life? Has it helped? I hope it's helped. Um, if you've never done this, it's worth your while to learn how to better prepare yourself uh, to financially and how to be more responsible with future planning, uh, with your finances. I've also taken these classes and I find how many people never live with a plan whatsoever. Uh, maybe having a job, getting a paycheck twice a month is their plan. But living paycheck to paycheck is not really a plan. That's, that's how often people live. They live just whatever comes in and then it's gone right away. And I understand, you know, finances and, and, and wages aren't keeping up with the economy and, and, the, and inflation right now. I understand that. Yes. But that doesn't mean we just throw our hands up in there and go, I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything. Yes, you can still make wise decisions in these times. Nor is using credit cards to pay your expenses and to go into debt. That doesn't pay your expenses. That is just another loan with a lot of interest. We really can do better, and I recommend taking a class or seeking counsel how to come up with a plan or live by a budget. That's what we have here at church. We have a, a council that we, we have a budget plan and we, we stick to those budget plans and we try to you know, have accountability with one another with the money that comes into our church, how we operate uh, the expenditures and, and uh, everything. So we make sure that we're able to use it wisely, what God gives to us. Budgeting, budgeting is one way to have a plan. It means looking at the, what money is coming into your life on a monthly or annual basis, then calculating and putting it into various categories of, of how you can spend it or find ways you need to cut things out of your life that you don't need. Um, you can find ways to earn more income to pay for things and hopefully you can save as well in that. That's part of living by a budget. Stewardship has many disciplines. And if I could give you one example of instruction for you, I would tell you to never go to Costco when you're hungry. <laughs> never. Um, 
I guarantee that's not a good idea, and those ladies on the corners giving out samples are just little demons incarnate. <laughs> just a little sample, and then you're hooked. And now you have something in your shopping cart that wasn't even on your shopping list. Right? And you don't need 20 pounds of that stuff. You know, you don't need it. <laughs> so for what it's worth, I hope that little instruction helps. But being prepared is like uh, making a commitment. I'm making commitments along the way. How good are you at following through with your commitments? I don't like ever not finishing a job. I like to finish it, you know. And often we get to the 90% and then we like, we're good. We're good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. You know, the painting's not done, the trim's not on, but pfft. And it's never going to get done. I promise you, it's never going to get done if you don't follow through and, and finalize that commitment. Am I convicting anybody in this room? I hope not. I'm not trying to get on you about anything. But I read this definition of commitment, and it says, a commitment is staying true to a worthy decision long after the emotion that sparked that decision is gone. I think that's true. I think that's a, after the impulse is gone, you know, we sometimes make impulsive decisions. And, and usually those are not the best decisions to make. Commitments are more than an impulsive decision. And it is staying true to the decisions long after you say you're going to do something. It's living proof or the fruit of that long-term decision and how we handle our resources is a test of those commitments that you make. Luke chapter 16, I want to, if you want to have a Bible, you want to turn there as well. This is a classic example of a test, a commitment test. It's a money matters test that Jesus spoke these words and he told this to his disciples, giving them this story, this parable. And we can look through this together. It says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management. Because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do when I lose my job here. People will all welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. And he replied to the, um, in the, he replied, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So in this story, 
we see that one, the, um, the boss, the ultimate manager, fires one of his managers for poor performance. Um, maybe you've been a boss. Maybe you've had to do that yourself. Uh, poor for performances of people that have worked for you before. This manager was wasting his resources, was wasting his money. And so the Greek word is didaskapazo, uh, which means to scatter, means to disperse, uh, or to waste and squander. So this master under him, this manager under him, rather, uh, was squandering what he had. And so he was tossing money around. He was wasting it. He wasn't taking care of his responsibilities to the people that owed them um, debt. So the boss decides to get rid of him. I'm going to fire you for that. Now this guy thinks, I'm in trouble now. I got I to gotta do something. What am I going to do? Because I'm not strong enough to go out and do labor work anymore. And I'm losing my job. So uh, I don't know what else I'd do. So he had this idea and he uh, went to his creditors or the debtors of his boss starts handing out these deep discounts to them. Some 50% off, another 20% off. Uh, and so he's making friends that he might be able to help him after he loses his job in this situation. And so his boss commended him for his shrewdness. Now the Greek word is pronos, uh, pronomos, which refers to thoughtful planning or being prudent and shrewd that you are gone, you've gone out and you've done some of the work. Maybe you should have done that before I fired you. But uh, the first thing to clear up is that Jesus is not advocating dishonesty in that. He wasn't saying, okay, you know, you got your job back. It wasn't that. The man was still labeled as dishonest all the way through. So what Jesus is, what is he saying? What is he advocating in this passage? Jesus was saying, don't use money to win over worldly friends. Rather, we need to use our money and resources to please and honor God. And so in verses 10 through 12, what we just read in that, Jesus turns it around and gives a little teaching moment in that parable. And he says, Whatever, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Or, and so whoever's dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. And this is very true, and this is a good principle to live by. If you can be trusted with a little, you can be trusted with much. And with a little and with, uh, what is the little and what is the much that he's talking about? In verse 11, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you cannot be trusted with money in this example, who's going to trust you with the true riches? And so this was the test. This is the test of this. If you handle money well, God will trust you with bigger things, with the true riches. Uh, what are the true riches? Jesus doesn't define exactly what the true riches are here, but we'll take a look at that in a few minutes. What I want us to see is that money is like a test. Money is an example of how we can be tested in, in our responsibilities. Are we flippant? Are we careless? Are we wise and good stewards with what he gives to us? Almost every parent in this room um, has done this with, your, with our kids. You give them a little bit of freedom, 
Uh, hopefully they'll be wise with that freedom and not abuse those freedoms. Uh, and if they handle it well, you give them a little more. You're going to give them a little more opportunity to grow up and mature. And hopefully they're going to be responsible with that. And it's actually nice when actually that you start seeing evidence of maturity with our kids. I mean, right? Um, but if you can be trusted with uh, more, a little money, we'll see how you handle it before you give them more. You can be trusted with little, you can be trusted with more. And so Jesus applied this to the true riches, and God wants watches to see how we handle his resources, his blessings, his money, his stuff. This is a test. God's ultimately a good father. He is a good father, and he wants to bless us with good gifts to his children. That's what scripture tells us. It's true. He is a loving father. Um, in Jesus' story about this uh, shady manager in this Luke 16 is that he was just a manager. He was not the owner of it all. And that's important to know about all of the things that God gives us as well. Um, whose money was it? Whose resources was it? It was the boss, the ultimate owner of it. He was managing someone else's money. And so Jesus affirms here what is taught in many other places in the Bible. It all belongs to God and we manage it for him. It's God's money. It's God's stuff. Even your life is not your own. And this is uh, where we need to change the way we word things. Where we, in our use of pronouns, in our world of many different pronouns, money is not your money. It's not my money. It's not my stuff. It's God's stuff. And this is, I've, I've learned this uh, years ago in teaching these courses too on financial management. It's like, you stop using my money, my money, my stuff, my this, my that. And you start saying, it all belongs to you, God. And I, I used this one thing in this one class we did one time. We had a, um, a deed, one page where you just fill out a deed and it's blank and you just write everything that you think that you own. <laughs> everything of yours that you claim as yours. And we encourage you just to write that on that deed. Write that down on that paper. Your house, your stuff, your money, your bank account, your retirement, whatever you want to put on there. Everything of your life that you claim is yours. And deed it back to God. God, I give this to you. This is yours. So, it's really freeing to do that. It's actually a practical way of giving unto God and just saying, some people burn it, some people just like give it to God and they just let go of it. God, remind me on the days I struggle with this stuff. My house. And when you have these problems and when you have things break, you go, God... Your car broke down. What are you going to do about it? It's like, it saves you a lot of grief. It does. God, your stuff needs help. God, fix it. Now, of course, he gives us the resource. He gives us means to take care of stuff. It doesn't mean you're irresponsible and you don't have to work ever. But at the same time, 
We see it and, and it's freeing to give it over to God. Deed this over to God that ultimately belongs to him. Even our bodies, that should be on the list. I mean, I, you know, some people are really proud of their bodies. You know, <laughs> it's like, this belongs to me and, and no one has a say in how I do with what I want to do with it. I'm like, yeah, there's, a, there's a scripture I want to read for you uh, about that in a moment. But we learned about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, a, a while ago. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, too. Put that on there, the deed list. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to God, lock, stock, and barrel. So we really don't own anything. God owns everything, gives us some for us to manage for him. This is true of our lives, our time, our energy, our gifts, our abilities, our bodies, you name it. It's true of our money, our possessions. God owns everything. It all belongs to you, Lord. It's all his. I give this unto you. So we have to ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do with your stuff? What do you want me to do? And, and people say, Are you, is this a sermon on tithing? No. It can be. It's not just a sermon about tithing that you know, giving your 10% to God. God never asked you just to give 10% to him. How many of you are bosses in this room? Anyone that ever been a boss? Okay. If your employees only did 10% of their job, would you still keep them? Maybe you would. I mean, I, I often think that weathermen are only do 10% of their job. <laughs> Because they, they never get it right, and they still have a job. But 10%, no. He's not asking you for 10%. He's asking you for 100%. Commit yourself 100% to God. It's not like, I gave my tithe, therefore I'm irresponsible with the 90. No, he says, that still belongs to God too. And it keeps us from making foolish decisions with, the, with our 90%. All of it, 100%, all belongs to him. So it's not like I did my deed, I did my job, I did my religious commitment. It's not about that. It's about where your heart is. Where your heart is, God owns it all, and I give unto God. And sometimes he might challenge you to give more. Sometimes people say, well, the Bible doesn't really say that it's a requirement to give a tithe anymore. Like, oh, well, then give more. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like some people think that it means always less. And I'm like, well... It can be less, but it might mean more too. So we asked, asked the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to manage your stuff? Stewardship isn't just about money. It's about what you're doing with everything you have, including your life. And your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. Stewardship is how you manage your time, your energy, your life, your gifts, your money, stuff, everything. God wants it all. So we are managers, not owners, and money is like a tool. God gives it to us to meet needs, to spend, to meet our, our current uh, needs, to save, to meet our future needs, and to give to others to meet others' needs. Money is just a tool and can do a lot of good, but it's easy to forget that it all belongs to God. 
Money is just a tool, but if we begin to make money most important thing, it will sidetrack us in a hurry. Money is just a tool. It can be used for good or evil. It's a neutral thing. Um, obviously, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and we see that greed in our world that leads to all kinds of evil. It's like a shovel. Let me give an example of a, of a shovel. With it, we can dig a hole, we can find water, we can sustain life, we can grow a garden, uh, or I can smack someone over the head and kill them with it. A shovel is just a tool, right? It's neutral. It's neither good nor bad, but it can be used by people for purposes that are good or bad. And so money is like a shovel. It's a tool. It matters how you use it. If I started worshiping shovels and made it my goal in life to be only about shovels and collect them and, and store them up, get as many shovels as possible, spent my waking hours thinking about shovels, acquiring shovels, sorting and storing shovels and guarding and protecting my shovels. What would, what if the shovel became the most important thing in my life and that's all I talked about? What would you think of me? I think you put me in a sand asylum or something. We're really worried about Greg. He needs help. But in the same way, if I worshipped money, if I worshipped all the possessions in this world, made it my goal in life to get as much money as possible, spent most of my waking hours thinking about money and acquiring money and using money and guarding and protecting my money, what if money became the most important thing in my life? Then Jesus also said this in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, a few verses later. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. And be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So there's an important warning in that, that passage that he's, he's given about the shrewd manager and being faithful with much or little. You can't serve both God and money. You can't live for both God and money. Something or something has to give. Something will rise to the top as being more important. Someone has to be on top. Your values or someone has to be the most important. You can't worship both God and money. And so why would Jesus say this? Because many people love money more than God. They love the things of this world more than God. It's idolatry. It's the present-day idols. It's not just a statue that we worship. We worship stuff. Have you ever seen VeggieTales Stuff Mart? You know, uh, what is that? What is the lady's? Madam Blueberry. It's a good one. You ought to see it. Madam Blueberry, she goes to Stuff Mart and fills her cart with stuff. Um, but it's because we love the things of this world. But all these things are passing away. They are. They won't last, believe it or not. They, they won't make it, including things like my deck in my house. Have I talked about my deck lately? <laughs> Have I talked about that? That's been an all summer project. And it's still summer on my deck because I'm still <laughs> almost done. If anyone wants to do anything this week, I have about one quarter left to do on my deck this just saying. See me afterwards. Um, I don't worship my deck. 
I don't. I, I promise you that it's only stuff that I wish God would fix, and I didn't have to. Um, but when Jesus was talking about that, the Pharisees heard them say this, and they were indignant. They were upset. It says the Pharisees in Luke 16, verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard this, and they sneered at Jesus. They were angry that he said this because they knew he was talking about them. They didn't like what he said because they loved their money. And Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. Um, it could be friends. It sometimes can be a worship of family. It can be, wor I love my family. I absolutely love my family. But some people worship their family. You know, that family comes before God. And I'm like, I think that's a little bit backwards. God should be our first love. Sometimes family is what pulls us away from God more than anything. And again, family's got to be right up on the top of our list, but it should never come before God. These Pharisees uh, did not like that. First Timothy, uh, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in this. He said in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, he said, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What is the uh, richest man in the world that made the spruce goose? Is it Howard Hughes? Yeah. He was once said, and he was the richest man on the, in the world back in his day in, I think, the 30s. And they asked him one time, how much is enough? And he goes, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And you know, he died in his own home, but he went insane. He had everything in this world had to offer. But he literally went insane. I wish I just had a little bit more. Because money can't buy you happiness. Money can't buy you all the things. Only God can really find that void in our life of stuff. Notice Paul didn't say money was the root of all kinds of evil. He didn't say that part. He said the love of money, that's the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money can plunge us into ruin and destruction. And the love of money can keep us from God. Number two, if I didn't give you the first point, I think I did. Stewardship is being prepared. Okay, secondly, this is only a two-point sermon, so I, I think it's kind of scary when I don't have more than two points, but, it, you know, two points, maybe it's more memorable for you today. Two points, stewardship is storing true treasures, and just getting back to that, what is a true riches that Jesus is talking about? Mark's tw chapter 12 says this, a couple verses one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Notice that Jesus had given them a good answer. And he, he asked them, um, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one Jesus answered is, or answered Jesus, is this. He asked this young man, what is the, uh, the rich young ruler? What is the most important thing? And he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with mind and strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no commandment greater than these. And what did that rich young ruler do with that? He couldn't get, you know, he said, go and sell all your possessions because Jesus knew what was in his heart. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't leave those, those, set those things aside. It wasn't about his riches. It was about where his heart was. He knew the right answers to love God and to love people, but he couldn't leave aside the worldly riches that really were where his number one commitment was. What was most important? To love God with all you've got and to love people. And Jesus was very clear that this is the most important thing in life. You can pile up stuff. You can pile up riches. But if you don't love God and people, you are poor in what matters most. Money matters, but God matters more. Money matters, but people matter more. Loving God and loving people is what matters most. Jesus said, if we can't handle money, who will trust us with the true riches? So again, what are the true riches? I think true riches are of life are relationships. In another story in Luke chapter 12, Jesus talked about a man whose business prospered. He built bigger barns and a larger bank account and then kicked back and thought, I'm set. I'll take life easy and have fun. But that night, God said, you fool. Tonight, you're going to meet me and you will get all of this that you piled up. And who will get all this that you piled up? And here's the punchline in Luke chapter 12, verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. He was financially rich, but poor towards God. That's a bad trade, if you ask me. The true riches are rich towards God, to have rich relationship with God, to have that intimacy with God. To know him above all things that makes your life rich. True riches are to have rich relationships with people. Did I ever tell you the story of when I worked for a Vietnamese guy named Kong? Have you ever told you that story? Just a real quick, the story. When I, when I was going through a down time in my life, depressed and discouraged, feeling like, like my life was going nowhere, I had a 1983 Ford Ranger that was rust bucket thing. I always had problems with it, and I was going to work, and I was working this kind of a temp job at the time as a landscaper. And this, I had this coworker, and he was a Vietnam refugee. Um, and... He, he was a boat person as a child. His, if you remember the story of them going across uh, in boats, and many of them died, but he was rescued out in the ocean with his family, and some people did die on the boat that he was crowded on. And I was just probably whining and complaining and grumbling and saying, you know, I'm in a downer job, I have a junky truck, and I have junky stuff, and... I have a couple kids at the time, um, first couple kids, and barely making it. And he goes, Greg, and he wasn't even a Christian. Because Greg, do you know how rich you are? And I'm like, what? What are you possibly talking about? And he's just like, you know how rich you are. He just really got in my face, and he goes, you have a wife, you have a house, you have kids, you have a car. You have food on your table. You have so much that you don't even appreciate. I'm like, 
you're right. I don't. All I'm doing is just grumbling and complaining. And I do have stuff, and I am very rich. That was a great lesson that young man taught Kong, was his name. I've never forgot Kong, just how he uh, woke me up into a reality of going, thank you, God. I'm, I ask for forgiveness for the way I've thought of my life, the way I've treated the things that you've already blessed me with. And it was a wake-up call for me. And thankfully, I learned some good lessons in that time. I was rich. And I was rich in relationships. I was rich that I did have a family and, and I did have um, the things that I had in my life. So this man was rich financially, but poor towards God. And uh, true riches are to have rich relationships with God and people. Matthew 6, verse 19 and 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's the contrast between financial riches and the true riches of God. How do you store up treasures in heaven? When you use money to help people, and he even goes into when you've given that drink to that person, when you've visited that person that's sick, when you prayed for them, when you've gone to them, and when we get to heaven, we're going to be probably surprised at those that have get, been stored up treasures because they were never anything, never recognized for anything in this world because they lived a true and humble life. They lived and they did everything in honor to God, never for themselves to be honored. And you're going to go, that was the true riches. What you do in secret, God sees it and he will bless you. The prayers that you prayed on your knees in your prayer closet for your family, your loved ones, God sees those prayers. When you give and no one puts you on a plaque on the wall as the, as the 500 club or whatever, it's like God saw it and he blesses that. How do I know that? What will it be in like in heaven? There are two things that I know for sure, God and people. And Jesus said that those are the most important. Those are the true riches. You can't take anything or money with you. You can't take anything more important to invest in than, it's, than people and relationships and the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's what true riches are. If we can't be even used in worldly wealth and the management of what he gives to us how is he going to entrust you with the lives of people? He, you probably shouldn't be managing people if you don't even know how to take care of your own personal life. And these, financial, these final instructions Paul gave um, that they're still important for us today. And when Paul said to take a collection, be prepared, uh, the Greek word logia, which means an extra collection. Or one that is not compulsory. It is never viewed to be a tax on the church. Rather, they are free to give as God directed their hearts to give. Their gift or their charis was a grace 
to be freely given. No strings attached, but done with pure motives. And that's why he says similarly in his second letter to the Corinthians, you're familiar with this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has purposed in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, um, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace or charis abound to you. That grace, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Farmers know this principle. They know about sowing and reaping. They're experts at sowing. And if I sow this much seed, this is how much yield I'm expecting to get. That's how they make their living and their harvest. The more seed the sow, they sow, the greater the harvest is going to be. Likewise, the more seed we sow, we'll reap a harvest of souls. So not only must we say we believe in God, we must also live for him and steward well what he's given to us. And I think about my daily life, and sometimes my life is consumed with me, 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 me. It's about me, what is in it for me, 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 me. And a lot of our world is catered towards that consumer mindset. What's in it for me, what's in it for me. We're surrounded with consumerism in our lives, you know, with our time even. And, and I value time. I value everybody's time. And I value what you give in service to the... I never turn down a volunteer, by the way. Never turn down a volunteer. But I value that. I appreciate that. But you know what? Sometimes God has me pause. He takes moments just to call someone, to go visit someone, to send a word of encouragement or to do something like that. Because you know what? Even that moment, it doesn't have to take a lot. Just give. Give something. Give a moment. Give a, a, a blessing. Give a visit. Stop by and say, hey, I just want to show that I care about you. I love you. And if you want to wear skinny jeans doing it, go for it. You can do that. But I don't think they're going to care about that. <laughs> right? Just show that you care. Don't always have to make big decisions how to start managing. Just start with something. And the biggest decision you need to make today is to trust God and to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then he says, then I will add all things to you. You know, I met some people that are radical givers, radical, live their life radically for Jesus. And they, sometimes I think you are weird. <laughs> you are, you're just weird that you, you just live that way. But a lot of times they speak to me. They blow me away. Because as I see God providing, I'm like, how, how do I sometimes limit God? Because if it doesn't fit within my, my idea of what management should look like. Again, when you, and I'm asking you to be a good steward. I'm out in this scripture today. It's talking about stewardship but sometimes do we manage things so tightly and so efficiently and so tightly in, in that sense that we go, no, nope, it's not within the budget. 
It's not within the budget. And that's as far as it goes. And I'm like, live by a budget, by all means. But don't let that be the stop of what God may challenge you to do, to step out in some of your comforts. Does that make sense? He might challenge you to go beyond just what you know in your head, to step out in faith bigger than what you perceive that you think that you can do because our God is bigger than that. Our God is always bigger than that. Amen? I hope that makes sense to you today. I hope in these final instructions, these are still applicable to us today, that we can just honor God with all of us. Lord God, we give you all of who we are. Again, today, I want to honor you with who I, who you've blessed me in so many ways that I can use it for your honor and your glory. The time that you give me, the health that you give me, the body that you give us, the resources that you give to us, that I can find great joy. And being a good manager for your stuff. And also when you challenge me, I won't hesitate. I'll do it, Lord. I'll go to that person. I'll give the time that I don't think that I have. I'll give the money. I'll write the check. Whatever it takes, I'll go. I'll go to that country if you call me to go to that country. I'll go there, Lord. I'll, I'll talk to that coworker. I'll show the love of Jesus because I want true riches. I want relationship with you and I want more relationships with people because that's eternal. That's what's going to last forever. May we honor and glorify you in all that we are and do today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you all. Hope that you have a blessed week and maybe we'll see you Wednesday in uh, St. Ignatius for the worship service. Make sure... Uh, Make sure you say hi to your neighbor next to you. And uh, call those that we, you know, occasionally uh, these weeks. Hey, thanks for joining us today. My name is Billy, and I'm the online media director here at Polson Foursquare. I hope that the message was encouraging to you. And if it was, consider subscribing or following us or even sharing it with a friend. If you're looking for more information, you can find that at PulsonFoursquare.org or check out our Facebook. With that, I hope that you have a blessed week and we'll catch you next time.